You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Feel like who art Ed? Who art Ed? Mr. Wood art Ed me. Either way, it's ambiguous. It works on so many levels. I know. That's off to a great start. Welcome to Who Arted Weekly Art History for All Ages. I'm your host, Kyle Wood, and today we're going to be looking at Emily Cam Noire. Before I get started on this one, I do want to remind everyone I'm posting daily mini episodes right now in the run up to my annual Arts Madness tournament. I would encourage all my fellow art teachers to consider participating with their students as this is not only a fun way to get students looking critically at a variety of artists, 60 of the artworks in this year's tournaments are from the AP Art History list. Voting for round one matches will begin the final week of February, but right now, you can fill out a form predicting which artwork will win, and I'll be giving away some Amazon gift cards throughout the tournament, so check the show notes for more information on ways you can win. Now, on to the actual topic for today's episode. Emily Camnoire was born around 1910 and spent the majority of her life in the remote amateur community in Central Australia. Sadly, in the 1920s, European pastoralist settlers forcibly took over the area, and Noire, along with her other community members, had to work on the pastoral property. I hate to dwell on the bleak aspects of history, but I think it's worth teasing out just exactly what that really means. In the early to mid-20th century, the aboriginal people of Australia, the indigenous people, were not considered to be full citizens of their own country. They needed government permission to get married or to travel. The land they lived and worked on was not their own. In fact, they weren't even legally responsible for their own children. They were wards of the state. It wasn't until 1976 that Aboriginal land rights were legally recognized, allowing her to finally live independently. For thousands of years, Aboriginal culture has been deeply intertwined with the Australian landscape. The region is characterized by deserts, grasslands, and striking rock formations. As an esteemed elder of her community, Noire was trained in creating ceremonial sand paintings inspired by her ancestral dreamings. The Aboriginal artistic tradition is actually the longest-running artistic tradition in the world. It's an unbroken line going back about 50,000 years, predating our ancient Roman art, the pyramids, even several millennia older than the cave paintings in Lascaux. 
Now, when we talk about dreaming or dream time in the context of Aboriginal culture, we're not talking about things a person sees and imagines in their sleep. The dreamings encompass a complex and multifaceted worldview that underpins the entire cultural and spiritual identity of the community. It includes past, present, and future existence. The dreaming tells the story of how ancestral beings shaped the land, its inhabitants, and the laws governing their interactions. These journeys and transformations are not confined to a linear timeline, but they exist in a, quote, every when, where the past, present, and future are interwoven. The tradition holds immense cultural significance. The dreaming acts as a roadmap for life, dictating kinship systems, social laws, and obligations to the land and its creatures. Through oral storytelling, song, dance, and artistic expression, knowledge is passed down through generations, ensuring the continuity of cultural identity. Ceremonies performed at sacred sites serve as portals to the dreaming, reaffirming the connections to the ancestors and reinforcing those cultural values. Artistic production serves as a powerful tool for transmitting and preserving that dreaming. Paintings, rock art, carvings, and body decorations depict ancestral figures, creation narratives, and significant symbols. Each element carries deep meaning, known only to those initiated into that specific dreaming. The dreamings are an important part of the culture, but also deeply personal as they're passed down in family lines, and each individual's dreamings will be unique. People would not be able to paint another person's dreaming without permission. Now, Emily Kanonware practiced traditional art making for ceremonial purposes in her community. As she became a respected tribal elder, she would paint decorative motifs on women's bodies as part of a ceremonial practice called awelye. These visual expressions were intertwined with cultural elements such as song, storytelling, and dance. Although Noire's paintings were never representational, they were influenced by both her upbringing in Aboriginal culture and the natural environment surrounding her. In the late 1970s, she began making batiks. Now, for those unfamiliar, batik is a method of wax resist. It comes from Indonesia and Java, but basically artists will use melted wax to paint on fabric and then dye the fabric. The wax creates a barrier, stopping the dye from coloring the fabric in the areas that were painted. It's sort of similar to drawing with crayon and then painting with watercolor. So as I said, Noire began making batiks in the 1970s. In 1977, she became a founding member of the Utopia Women's Batik Group, Utopia being the area that she was living in. In the 1970s and 80s, as the Australian government had been seeking to sort of make amends and recognize the rich culture of the indigenous people, galleries and collectors started to take notice of the art. In 1988, the S.H. Everin Gallery in Sydney took on a project seeking to facilitate the creation of Aboriginal art and then create a market for the works. Traditionally, artworks had been produced using natural pigments like ochre painted onto the rocks in the landscape or on people for ceremonial purposes. 
In a move that seems like it could have been written in a Joni Mitchell song, the gallery went out to Utopia asking the indigenous people to produce works using modern materials, acrylics on canvas. To be clear, I do believe this was a genuine and well-intentioned move to provide materials for artists to create and then display and market the work for the benefit of the community and to spread appreciation of the art and culture. I can see where this has some problematic aspects that could turn exploitative, but I like to assume the best about people. I would say it was an act of tremendous generosity on the part of Noire and her fellow artists to take those materials and share their work with the uninitiated in the rest of the world. Noire's painting Emu Woman was selected for the cover of the exhibition catalog as a sign of respect for her status as the senior member of the group. It was her first painting on canvas, but immediately gained critical acclaim. A year after the first group show, she had a solo exhibition of her work at a gallery in Sydney, and following that, she was invited to several international exhibitions. Earth's Creation is an absolutely massive piece she created in 1994. Most biographies will say that she only painted for the last eight years or so of her life, but really, she was only painting for Western audiences for those final eight years. It's important to resist that Western lens of only appreciating the works on canvas or comparing her works to pieces by Pollock, de Kooning, Monet, because while there are some superficial similarities of the color and the texture and the movement, Noire was doing something very different. It was coming from a really different place. Noire was about 84 years old when she painted Earth's Creation. It shows an evolution in her style from the more earth-toned traditional pieces she painted as she first began to work on canvas. In this piece, we see rich blues, yellows, and greens referencing the lush green times that follow periods of heavy rain. She was moving beyond the clay and ochre pigments, but still creating work deeply rooted in her connection to the land and nature. Now, this painting is about 9 feet tall and 20 feet wide, and when it went up for auction in 2007, it sold for an equally large and impressive price of over a million dollars. It set a record for the highest price of a work of art by an Aboriginal artist and the highest price for an Australian female painter. A decade later, it sold for over $2 million, once again setting the record for the highest price by an Australian female painter. So kudos to Emily Cam Noire for not only preserving her cultural heritage and her legacy, but also experimenting and expanding on that tradition, utilizing different materials to capture different subjects, and making the whole world take notice. This concludes this week's episode of Who Arted, part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. If you found this tolerable, please leave a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. You can find images of the work being discussed this week and every week on social media at Who Arted Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And of course, on the website, whoartedpodcast.com. Podcast done. Have you ever wondered who the Mary was from Bloody Mary? If the Loch Ness Monster was real, 
or if Ouija boards actually worked? On each episode of the family-friendly Unspookable, we look at the histories and mysteries behind your favorite scary stories, myths, and urban legends to get the real stories behind the scares. Want to solve your next mystery? Find and follow Unspookable now wherever you get your podcasts. 